in pastoring. And that's uh, exciting for those who might be leaving, but it's kind of sad for us. But this morning, I want to take time to pray for Steve and Mary Cowan because uh, they have a change in their life. They've sold their orchard out in Leavenworth. They've sold their family home. Many of you remember Todd and Mary. That is Steve's father, uh, pillars of the church. And Steve and Mary have attended for many, many years. But you know, grandkids have a way of pulling at your heart. You know what I mean? And Steve and Mary are uh, on their way to Idaho and they'll be close to their kids and grandkids. We're going to miss you guys. Thank you for your faithfulness. You have been so quiet, but so faithful and so committed. And your family has been such a blessing. And if you would just stand up, we want to pray for you today. Would some of you just gather around the Cowans and the rest of you just reach your hand out toward them? Will you do that? Let's uh, just gather around them and pray for them. Jesus, I thank you for strong families that have rich heritage. And Lord, I thank you for the Cowan family, Lord, for, uh, for Steve's dad and for his uh, mom. And I thank you, Lord, for Steve and Mary and their commitment to you, their commitment to this church. And I pray, oh God, that you will bless them as they leave for Idaho, that you will go before them. Thank you, Lord, that you have prepared the way. You have helped them, Lord, as they had to sell the orchard and you uh, provided a beautiful house for them. And I just pray, God, that you will give them an excitement in their mind and in their heart about this next chapter of life. We bless them as they leave. We'll miss them, but we know as our faith is in Jesus that we shall see each other again again. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Steve. God bless you. Lost my microphone there. Hey, one other prayer request. Um, this came in and, and I didn't have a ch chance to give it to Alan. And we want you to know we take your prayer request seriously. So Marion LaViolet, some of you remember Marion and his family. He is suffering with lung cancer. Uh, he lives down in Nevada. But let's pray for him, shall we? Jesus, we thank you for the LaViolets. Uh, thank you for uh, Marion and his family. We just pray, oh God, that as he goes through this health difficulty, that you will uh, strengthen him, that you will heal him, that you will be his constant uh, guide. We just lift up uh, Marion to you and pray that you will touch him in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we're going to conclude our series this morning on Watch Your Attitude. Watch your attitude. It's a study of the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5, and I would invite you to turn there today, or if you have a, a handout that was hopefully given to you when you first came in, our scripture is on the front of that. Uh, we have reviewed or we have uh, looked at seven different attitudes today. We're going to look at the eighth and final attitude that Jesus wants us to have as followers of his. Matthew chapter 5, why don't we stand together and I want us to read this out loud together, beginning with verse number 3, continuing through verse number 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Read along with me. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us how to apply your word. Father, as we conclude this series, I pray that it will not just be more head knowledge for us, but it will be practical knowledge that we will be true representatives of Jesus in today's world, that we will have these attitudes that we've studied, that we will display them, that people will see them, that they will hunger and thirst after righteousness because of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I like the way the Good News Translation uh, puts this, and it's in your outline. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I've discovered through the years, through my own life and through uh, ministry, uh, that one of the major causes of unhappiness is that we try to please everybody else. And when you try to please everybody else, you are going to fail and you are going to be unhappy. That feeling that, man, I've got to make everybody happy. I've got to, I've got to make sure everyone is happy and, and loves each other and loves me. And, and I've got to make sure that I'm approved by everybody. Friends, it's a trap. It's a, it's a myth. Unfortunately, we buy into that kind of thinking. We tend to think if we're going to be happy, we have to make sure everyone approves of us. And it just doesn't work that way. You can't please everybody. I've told you before, I have a sign in my office that I look at every day. And it says, if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader. Go sell ice cream. And it helps me keep grounded that I'm not going to make everybody happy. We know at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that Jesus is smiling upon us, right? But see, Jesus was a realist. That's why he included this beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount. He was very honest about the consequences that you and I and those that have gone before us would have if we chose to follow him. There were times that he said to his disciples, hey, if you follow me, this is what's going to happen. If it's too hard for you, he gave kind of a backward altar call. If it's too hard for you, feel free to leave. But you've been warned. Because Jesus was a realist. He said, if you follow me, there are many people who aren't going to approve of that decision and approve of the attitudes that you will display. They're not going to like it. And in the same way, friends, in 2022 and soon to be 2023, if you and I truly live by these eight Beatitudes that we've studied this fall, we can expect some people to be resistant, to be upset, perhaps to try to undermine us, undermine our family, try to make it difficult on us, try to persecute us. Jesus knew that. 
So that's why in his closing statement, he warns us. He says, okay, here's the attitudes you need, but if you develop those attitudes, you're going to have opposition. It's just part of living for Jesus. We'll have people decide that they don't want to be part of our life. We'll have people walk away from relationships, maybe even from our church. It's to be expected when you take an approach to the difficulties of life that Jesus teaches. But I know it's totally contrary to our culture, to what we see displayed by our political leaders and by our Hollywood stars. For them, it's power, it's control, it's vengeance. (laughs) And for those to follow Jesus, it's, man, bless those who persecute you. Be humble. Give up your power and be a servant like Jesus was. Totally contrary to what the world's teaching us. No wonder we're going to have some opposition. Matthew 5.10, happy are those who are persecuted because they know that they're doing what God requires. Now, I'm not saying we should be martyrs and we should look for persecution. I'm just saying Jesus wants us to understand it's part of being his disciple. Notice uh, in Matthew 5 that this statement's so shocking, he repeats it twice. Now, it's yellowed on your outline, but notice the very next verse that we just read actually repeats that warning. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. You'll notice Jesus gives a lot more space to this beatitude than any other beatitude. And if you look real carefully, you'll notice something else. Jesus personalizes this beatitude. It's the only one that says you will be. Not they will be, but you will be. It's very personal. I want us to look, number one, at the reality of harassment. The Bible says when men insult you, When? It's going to happen. He doesn't say if you are persecuted, if you are insulted, if you're left out, if you're shunned because you don't want to participate in certain activities, if you are excluded at that office party, if. It doesn't say that. It says when you are excluded, when you are insulted, when you feel offended. It's just reality. And I love, again, the fact that Jesus is so honest. He's warning us about this. Jesus doesn't want us to be caught off guard. He's trying to prepare us. The attitudes that he wants us to have as his followers will not necessarily be popular with the culture. Or let me also suggest sometimes the attitudes that Jesus wants us to have aren't even popular in the church. Where'd most of the opposition come from that was aimed at Jesus? From the Pharisees. 
from the leaders of the church. So we all know that life includes some tough seasons. And I don't understand why people act so shocked when life gets tough because Jesus said it's going to be tough. I mean, we're broken people. That's why we need Jesus. We all go through difficult times. We live in a world that is sadly affected by sin. That's why we see the selfishness and the power grabs and the vengeance. And, and we're going to face disease. We're going to face disappointment and loss and times of emotional and spiritual darkness because of sin. Sometimes because of our own stupidity. <laughs> you know, we make dumb choices. And we have to suffer the consequences. Sometimes it's just circumstances. Because bad things do happen to good people. So there's going to be some harassment. The second thing I want you to see is the reason for that harassment is because you won't go with the flow. Because you just won't do what the world's telling you to do. It's because you don't just get a bigger club to club somebody who's clubbing you with a smaller club. It's because you've decided, as verse 14 says, that, or verse 11b says, because you are my followers. He's not talking here, friends, about racial harassment or sexual harassment. He's not talking about being put down because you're just obnoxious at work, you know. I mean, some people just set themselves up to be martyrs. They're irritating, they're stubborn, they're, you know, noisy, and they just kind of wonder, well, why can't I get wrong with people? John chapter 15, verse 20. It's on your outline. It says, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. So the right reason for harassment is because you're being like Jesus. You have the attitude of Jesus. Evil people don't like Jesus. Many religious people don't like Jesus because they have to give up control. But see, people don't like to attack Jesus directly. I mean, who, who wants to attack or speak bad about Jesus? So you know what they do? They attack his followers. It's kind of like you have a bad day at work. You go home and you kick the dog. Hopefully you don't. That's an expression. But you might take out your frustrations with your boss on your spouse or your children. I hope not because that's not healthy. But some people take out their frustrations on the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus on those of us that say that we're following Jesus. That's what I'm saying. They might not appreciate salvation. They might not like his emphasis on humility. They, they might not agree with Jesus' emphasis that you need to be meek. It's not popular to say repay a bad action with a good behavior. I mean, that goes contrary to everything our culture teaches us. Yet Jesus is saying, if you want to be like me, that's what you got to do. Repay good or re, uh, repay bad behavior with good behavior. And when you're like Jesus, they're not going to like you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, W-I-L-O, will be persecuted. 
Doesn't say he might, says he will. So if you want persecution <laughs> and you're a high school student, you know, take a stand for sexual purity. And you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be harassed, you're going to be, people are going to laugh at you. If you're a business person and you say, no, I'm not going to participate in that activity because it's shady and it's dishonest and I'm trying to please the Lord, see what your business partners say about that. See, it's just living a life that glorifies Jesus that sometimes puts us in those difficult times. The world just can't seem to stand anybody who's different. Jesus didn't fit the mold. He was unpredictable. He was unknown. He wouldn't compromise. He wouldn't mold and conform. The world felt they had to either follow him or they had to get rid of him, and that's what they decided to do, and they killed him. Number three, what should our response to harassment be? Well, the Bible teaches that, first of all, we need to recognize the source. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Your neighbor is not your enemy. The Democrats or the Republicans are not your enemy. Ephesians 6.12 in the Good News says, we are not fighting against human beings. Always remember that. You're not fighting against human beings. You are fighting against wicked spiritual forces. And the weapons, the tools you use to fight spiritual battles are not the ones the world gives you. It's things like prayer and fasting and good deeds and love and blessing them. Now, you know, I, I never encourage giving the devil more credit than he deserves. But you look at the scripture and it reminds us clearly that people are not our enemy. God's the enemy of the devil and the devil is the enemy of God. Now think about this for a moment. As a parent, if, if you're a parent, you understand that you would take pain all day long before your child goes through pain. Right? <laughs> Man, if you hurt somebody's kids, and that's exactly what the devil knows. The devil can't get to God. He's holy, omnipotent. He can't get to God, so he does the very next best thing. In his mind, he hurts God's kids, and that's us. That's why Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So our response to, to harassment, you know, needs to be that we recognize the source. It's not people. It's the spiritual forces that are using those people, sometimes like pawns. Sometimes they're not even aware of it. And then the Bible teaches us to refuse to retaliate. Romans 12, 17 and 19. If someone does evil to you, don't pay him back with evil. Never take revenge. Let God's wrath do it. Remember who the enemy is. The person attacking you is not the enemy. Very often the people that are hurting you are hurting themselves. And they are 
hurting because of situations in their life. They don't understand that they're being used by the enemy. Notice here in Matthew 5, 11 that uh, Jesus lists three different kinds of verbal harassment. And I want us to look at those for a minute. He says there are insults. You can be insulted. That's when people try to dishonor you or discredit you. They might say derogatory things about you. Then there's another level called uh, persecution or mistreatment. You can be insulted and not be mistreated. But you might even be mistreated. And then there's that third level where he says they will tell lies about you. They'll be deceitful. They'll be deceptive. And we know the world loves to find fault. (laughs) Often with Christians because they know our values. They know what we stand for. They know that we claim that we're following Jesus and we're going to do things differently. So the world loves to find fault with believers. Sometimes they know we have a higher standard. So when a pastor or a prominent Christian businessman sins and and falls, he's the one that ends up on the front page of the paper. They can't find faults and you continue to walk blamelessly with integrity. Sometimes people just make stuff up. Because Babylon, you know, we read in Revelation about Babylon. That's the world. That's the world system, the world's values, the world's way of looking at things. And Babylon is always going to attack Christianity. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 to you this morning. It says, when they hurl their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered... He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, God, who judges justly. That's got to be our position. The Bible also teaches that we need to respond positively. Positively. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's not our normal default. (laughs) But you never get ahead by trying to get even. It's best just to let God settle the accounts on that day of judgment when justice will prevail, injustice will be punished. Man, if you're always trying to get even, it's a way Satan distracts you from moving forward into more positive, fruitful, productive chapters of your life. Matthew 5, 44 says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, is that easy? No, it's not easy. It's unusual. But it's what God says to do. He says, don't react out of your flesh, out of your feelings, but respond positively with the attitude of Jesus Christ. So when people tear us down, we should build them up. Not tear them down. When people hassle us, we should be nice to them. Not to retaliate. That's one of the greatest principles, I think, of life that we really need to learn. 
And we always have that choice. You and I have control over our reactions in any given circumstance. I love the book by Viktor Frankl. I've quoted it many times over the years. He was an Austrian Holocaust survivor. And he says this, quote, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies either our growth and our freedom. More recently, Dr. Lesson, Leslie Parrott, they're uh, professors at Seattle Pacific University, also professors at Northwest University. Uh, Les wrote a book called Three Seconds. I love this book, The Power of Thinking Twice. He says, just three seconds, the time it takes to make a decision. That's all that lies between settling for whatever or insisting on whatever it takes. This book's all about just taking that small space before you react, asking the Holy Spirit to help you. You can't control the things that happen to you. You can't control the things that the people say about you. You can't uh, control the events of the world, persecution, the hassles that you get. But friends, with the help of God, you can always control how you choose to react. And that's what Jesus is teaching us in these eight attitudes that we've studied. And what should our response be? The, teachers teach us, uh, the Bible teaches us we should rejoice. <laughs> Is that what verse 12, the first part of verse 12 says? It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Let me give you some biblical reasons that you should rejoice and I should rejoice. First of all, responding biblically means that you're Christ-like. If you rejoice, it is fruit. It is evidence that you are becoming more like Christ. If Jesus couldn't be seen in your life, man, nobody would be harassing you. So when you're hassled, it's an indication that people can see a difference in your life. That's a good thing. I grew up in the church. I had godly parents. I was always involved in, in activities at Forks Assembly of God. Forks is a small town. I didn't have a lot of kids in my class. Most of us went from kindergarten to 12th grade together. And I didn't appear like that name preacher boy <laughs> that I got when I grew up. But it's interesting that when someone needed prayer, when someone needed help, when someone needed what they would see as a religious kind of exercise, they would always call me. 
One of the really most honoring things I have ever been asked to do is go back and uh, speak at the commencement of after I graduated from college and I was managing a bank and they asked me to come and speak at the commencement of Forks High School. And I thought, you know, even though I was harassed and teased and left out and and there were times that, you know, my friends would say, well, we didn't invite you because we knew you wouldn't want to hang out with us. And, and it didn't feel good at the time, <laughs> but it showed that they saw something different. 1 Peter 4.14 says, if you're insulted because of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of God rests on you. So when people put you down, friends, whether it's your family members, and some of you would be gathering in difficult family dynamics toward the end of this week. Or maybe there's tension between you and your brother. Or there's tension between you and your parents. Or maybe there's just those dynamics that doesn't make it as wonderful as the Hallmark movie show us. (laughs) But remember, when you're there Be glad if people see a difference in your life. When people put you down because you're a Christian, it's because they see Jesus in you. And I've got to ask myself, can anybody tell that I'm a believer? I hope my neighbors know I'm different. If they don't, then I need to really probably be better in letting the light of Jesus shine through me. Second reason to rejoice is responding biblically means not only that you're Christ-like, but it means that God can trust you. Because the Bible teaches when you're persecuted and when you're harassed, God has faith in you. Now in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, uh, it says the apostles were full of joy. Why? Because God considered them worthy to suffer disgrace for Jesus' name. And we Christians in America know very little about persecution. We have it so easy. Yet around the world, thousands of Christians are being martyred every day. We don't live in that kind of a world, but many of our brothers and our sisters do. Three weeks ago, it's October 24th, A pastor in Laos was buried, early 40s, left a wife and eight children. He pastored a church in Laos that was actually recognized by the government. There's three churches in the country of Laos that the government recognizes and they license so you can actually legally pastor them. But this pastor's church was growing. He was very evangelical, very charismatic. He was on his way to a conference on a motorcycle. He was abducted. He was persecuted. He was tortured. He was dismembered. He was killed, taken back and dumped on the front door of his church. He was buried three weeks ago. Open... Doors, which is uh, part of Brother Andrew's ministry. Brother Andrew passed away recently, but uh, estimate that 360 million, 
360, that's almost like the size of the U.S. 360 million believers live in countries right now that persecution is prevalent. They estimate between 15 and 20 people per day are killed, persecuted, like our brother, our pastor friend in Laos, because of their faith. I was on a Zoom call today, or not today, but this week, with a pastor uh, in Delhi, India. His name is Pastor Rohit. He was telling me about the persecution in northern India. And he said, but pastor, it is wonderful because the church is flourishing. (laughs) And I thought, oh, dear Jesus, I have so much to learn. Here's a pastor that's thanking God for persecution because it's causing the church to flourish. And I complain when I get inconvenienced. Pastor Rui said something. I wrote it down. He said, you know, Christianity is like a nail. The harder you drive it, the deeper it goes into the wood. (laughs) The third thing The reason we should rejoice is that scripture says that whatever we're going through is only temporary. It's like that great Carrie Underwood song, (laughs) temporary home. This is a temporary home. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says these troubles won't last very long, yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever. Paul says that we don't look at things that are seen, we look at the things that are unseen. The things we see are temporary. They're not going to last. The things that are unseen are permanent. That's why we need to have an eternal perspective as we sojourn through our 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years of life here on earth. See, Paul had that eternal perspective. (laughs) He knew what was important was the age to come. We're going to spend millions. We're going to spend, I say millions of years, but we're going to spend eternity reaping the rewards of what we've done for a few decades here on earth. That's why Paul says, look at it from an eternal perspective. All of a sudden, when you have an eternal perspective, your neighbor complaining about you or harassing you or that new BMW or that bank account, it it doesn't matter anymore. What's going to last is how we've used our life for Christ. We're going to reap those rewards for millions of years. Also, Scripture says that remember not just that what we suffer now is temporary, but remember that there will be a reward Romans 8, 17, since we are God's children, if we share Christ's suffering, we will share in his glory. There are special honors for those who experience persecution. Matthew 5, 12, Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad because great is the reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. History tells us that every one of the 11 remaining disciples were martyred except John, who died on the island of Patmos. Either killed or crucified. Peter was crucified. 
We know that he didn't consider him worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. So Peter asked to be crucified upside down on the cross. Friends, Jesus teaches us we have to remain faithful. And that's really the bottom line. You can make it through those insults. You can make it through being left out. You can make it through offenses. You can make it when people make fun of you. You can make it even if you lose your job because of the sake of Christ. We need to be faithful. 1 Peter 4.19 says, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. The Lord's calling us to be faithful, church, in a difficult era. We need to preserve and, and uh, our values, and, and we need to persevere in doing what's right. Man, some kind of insult or put, put, you know, put down is not going to destroy us. A rejection is not going to destroy us. Again, like Paul, man, nothing could stop that guy. I was thinking about it in the book of Acts. Remember he says, he says, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And all his friends tried to talk him out of it. They said, Paul, no, you don't go back there. Don't you know there's a group of people in Jerusalem that are against you and they have vowed to kill you? And Paul wasn't phased. He's a big deal. <laughs> Guy's got to die sometime, you know. If I die in Jerusalem, I die in Jerusalem. If I don't, I don't, but I'm going to be obedient to what God's called me to do. I've been asking myself this week a couple questions that I just want to ask you as we conclude the series, Watch Your Attitude. Because I know sometimes I get discouraged. Somebody leaves the church or someone insults me or I get criticized or I feel like someone's done me wrong. And, you know, we got to understand that does cause pain to our heart and our flesh. But we have to look at a, a bigger perspective. We have to say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Help me to be true to the end. Help me to not only take these attitudes of, Christ, but help me to live these attitudes of Christ. So this morning, I, I just want us to take some time to let the Holy Spirit reveal to us the answers to three simple questions. And I'll have them on the screen, but I, I just want the worship team to come back and just maybe play some music in the background. And I just want us to take a time to reflect and respond. And the first question today is, what is your faith costing you? Is it costing you anything? As I said, we know very little about suffering and persecution. What is your faith costing you? Why don't you just close your eyes, bow your head, reflect upon that question in context of the lesson today about blessed are they that are persecuted. In many countries, people's faith are costing their life. 
what is accosting us? And secondly, my question to you is, at what cost will you stay faithful to Christ? Again, most of us aren't worried about physical persecution. But sometimes we allow other things to interrupt our focus on Jesus. Oh, we're too tired to fulfill our commitment to our Bible study group. It's too cold to go out and do visitation tonight. <laughs> Lord, help us. At what cost would you stay faithful? If you lost your job, would you still be faithful? And finally, how many people know that you're a Christian? I'm not talking about those inside the salt shaker. We come to church and we're of precious like faith. But what about on your job? What about in your neighborhood, your HOA? What about the soccer association? What about the Qantas club? What about at the golf course or the tennis court? How many people know you're a Christian? I'm not asking if they know you go to church, but do they see the kind of attitudes that Jesus has taught us in your life? To say, man, there's something different about that guy. Or that woman responds in such a positive way to such negative circumstances. I, I, I'm curious why that is. What is your faith costing you? At what cost will you stay faithful to Christ? And how many people know that you're a Christ follower? Lord, as we conclude our series from the Sermon on the Mount, we thank you for the things that we've been taught by your Spirit. The importance of humility, the importance of meekness, the importance to allow ourselves to mourn so that you can comfort us. The importance not to be peacekeepers, peace but to be peacemakers. <laughs> Lord, man, there, there's so much we've learned. And now, Lord, we just commit ourselves afresh and anew to you and ask that you help us. Help us, Lord, to have these attitudes naturally flow from us, but we don't have to try to act in these manners, but instead we will naturally, supernaturally, in the natural act as you did. I pray, oh God, that we remember that you are a God who is always with us. You're a faithful God. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, you're there to help us. Thank you, God, for this time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's stand together.